the Old Testament book of Esther. We've been going verse by verse through Esther. We're in chapter 10, and chapter 10 has three verses, three three verses alone. And so we're going to read the entirety of chapter 10. Esther 10. And the king, Ahasuerus, laid a tribute upon the land and upon the isles of the sea, and all the acts of his power and of his might, and the declaration of the greatness of Mordecai, whereunto the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai... The Jew was next unto King Ahasuerus, the great and great among the Jews, and accepted of the multitude of his brethren, seeking the wealth of his people and speaking peace to all his seed. And let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and pray that we would be challenged from the passage this morning and from the ending events of uh, this particular uh, chapter segment of the life of the children of Israel. And I pray that uh, for that person that does not know you as their Savior, that may be uh, listening to this at a later date online, and I pray that they would embrace your salvation and flee the wrath to come, and the wrath will come. And we'll praise you for what you do in our hearts this morning and the hearts of those that listen as we pray to you in Jesus Christ's name, amen. Uh, You've been here and you know the players. Most people are familiar with Esther to a certain extent. Uh, In the beginning, we had uh, King Ahasuerus and his queen Vashti. He had a big party and uh, wanted to show off her beauty to a bunch of drunken men and she would not. Uh, she would not degrade herself, and she should not have. Uh, in, uh, under the influence of alcohol, he made a decision that she would no more come before him. And alcohol-fueled decisions are always decisions that are regretted. And as a result, when he sobered up, he realized, I had the most beautiful woman in the world, a woman of integrity and character, and I passed a law, the Medes and Persians, saying she would no longer come before me ever again, and I cannot do that. Uh, Yeah, that's right. You can't. And so uh, Esther uh, came on the scene. Two years of trying to find a new queen. They got Esther and uh, Haman. Uh, He's he's revealed to us. Who is Haman? The number two most powerful man in the world. Uh, But not satisfied with power. Uh, Real desire is to be king. And uh, he would have if he could have. And we saw that a couple of weeks ago as the king had a sleepless night and said, what should be done to the man that the king delighteth to honor? And Haman said, who could that be other than myself? And I want the king's crown, I want his robe, I want his horse, I want to be led by, through the city, and I want everybody to say, this is what is done to the man that the king delighteth to honor. And the king said, that's a great idea, do it at Mordecai. Well, Mordecai was the one that uh, Haman wanted to kill and had built a gallows that night to hang him. Uh, instead, they hung a Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Uh, then last week, we saw how that the king 
uh, they were still under the death sentence. So Esther went before the king again and said, uh, give, me my pe- give me my people. We're still under a death sentence. And the king was just beside himself on how to handle that. And so he said to Mordecai, uh, you got my ring. You're the number two. You're now the new number two man in the world. If you can think of a way to draft a law that will protect the Jews and uh, have at it. And so Mordecai did. Uh, he sat down and drafted the law. And the law could not undo the fact that the king gave everybody permission to attack the Jews. But what it did was it gave the Jews the ability to stand up for themselves gave the Jews the backing of the government and the military and the police force, if you will, uh, the law enforcement people at that time, so that they could protect themselves. And anybody in their right mind would say, who in the world would go against King Ahasuerus and his resources? Who would be dumb enough to do that? Obviously, the political climate has changed in Persia, and that would not be a wise thing. But there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that on that day uh, stood up against the Jewish people, and they were eliminated. Uh, and that brings us to chapter 10. Chapter 10, in these last three verses, you say, what in the world is here? There's a lot that is in these three verses. <clears throat> and a contrast, a contrast in greatness. <clears throat> what is a, a legacy that you're going to leave behind? In verse 1, you see King Ahasuerus. And what is he known for? Well, King Ahasuerus is known for his brutality. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we shared with you how brutal he was. When Esther went in before the king and she said uh, to Mordecai, if he doesn't extend the scepter, he can have me killed. I said, well, what king would do that? King Ahasuerus would. He would. <clears throat> he had one of his friends who had given him the equivalent of millions of dollars to fund his military in a successful battle over an enemy empire. And so he and the king were close. Rich businessman, lots of money, funded the king, and such he thought that that gave him some special privilege. Herodotus, the secular Greek historian that specialized in the Persian Empire, wrote that when that man went before the king and said, hey, I want my five boys exempted from military service. The king had the five boys cut in half. He had the bottom half over here and the top half over there, and he marched his army right down through the center of the two halves and said, don't you ever, don't you ever expect me to examine. How dare you ask such a thing? That's the kind of man Ahasuerus was. <clears throat> and so here we come, a contrast between these three verses. We're going to contrast the king, King Ahasuerus, and Mordecai. And what does verse 1 say? Verse 1 says, uh, the king is known for his brutality. We've already mentioned that. But the ting, king is noted for his taxation. What do you want to be noted for? Well, taking money from the people. That's what the king is noted for. The king has a hearth, laid a tribute upon the land and upon the isles of the sea. Why did he do it? Because, because he could. What is Mordecai known for? Verse 3 tells us that in the last phrase, seeking the wealth of his people and speaking peace to all his seed. What is going to determine your greatness? 
Greatness, by definition, is a lar- the first definition is a largest a largeness of bulk. A big guy, greatness, man, that guy is great. Bulk, dimensions, number, quality. My dad looks at my older brother Timothy. He is five years older than I am, and he is a uh, he's probably six three. Uh, his his shoe size is I don't know probably fifteen sixteen. Uh, he weighs up easily. Uh, easily 300 pounds or more. Uh, he's, and my dad looks at him. So here's this guy, my older brother. He's, he's tall. He's wide. His forearms are, are as big as my thighs. Now, a couple years ago, they looked at, over Christmas time, they looked, and he's an old man. <clears throat> and they looked at Tim, the kids, the young kids, and they said, uh, arm wrestle. And... <clears throat> I'm looking at it, and they, they said to me, hey, you want to arm wrestle your brother? I said, oh, no, man, <laughs> look at that guy's forearms. They're like this big around. Uh, he picks up, uh, he picks up uh, engines. Uh, for he, he doesn't go to the gym. He picks up engines and, and uh, kind of stuff. I, no, no, <laughs> I'm not a dummy. And so those kids sat down with him, and uh, Tim, big, we call him Big Tim, uh, he'd sit down there, and he'd you know, looking around, and they, they'd pull, and then they'd pull with two hands, and then he'd wait for a while, and they'd go, Poof. And, and he, he just put him down. This is what my dad says about Big Tim. He's a good-sized lad. He's a good-sized lad. <clears throat> a good-sized lad. Uh, he is huge. <laughs> he is huge. A guy that you don't want to mess with. Greatness. That's the first definition. Uh, the second definition of greatness in the dictionary is high degree, virtue, high rank or place, elevation, dignity, distinction, power. Uh, number three, greatness. When we think of greatness, we think of swelling pride, uh, magnanimity, intellectual uh, faculties. We would say a person that is uh, super intelligent is a great person, a genius, a person of grandeur, great, greater, greatest, greatly. Uh, greatness in your Bible is used 1,179 times. It's just a significant number. But what is true greatness? Is it the ability to arm wrestle someone? Is it the bigness? Is it found in the king, his ability to tax, to cut somebody in half and have nobody question his brutality? What is the definition of true greatness? And in this chapter we have those contrasts. Contrast uh, all the way through Esther of human personalities. Ahasuerus, Haman, Esther, Mordecai, Vashti, uh, lots of, lots of people. Who is, who is Mordecai? He was again a faithful government employee. He worked for the court system. He sat at the gate. Uh, sat at the gate of Persia. He was promoted to an extent. He was faithful, dedicated, humble, a servant, and content to serve at the gate. What happened when the king said to Haman, put him on my horse, put the crown on the head, put the robe on him, take him through the city, uh, say this is what is done to the man that the king delighteth to honor. At the end of that event, After Mordecai was led through the city, Haman went home crying. Mordecai went back to the gate 
he went back to work. Uh, that's just the kind of man uh, that he was. But uh, when uh, Haman was eliminated from the scene, the king recognized that this guy had revealed a plot to take his life, that he was a humble man when he enacted the law uh, protecting the Jewish people, that he was a smart guy when it came to legal process and Persian law, and that he was a valued could be a valued member of his team, he promoted him to the number two most powerful spot in the world. <clears throat> documented in Scripture, documented by the Greek historian Herodotus, Mordecai was truly great. And that greatness is, again, seen in verse 3. For Mordecai, the Jew, was next unto, the, unto King Ahasuerus, and great... Among the Jews. And there's one of those 1,179 references to greatness. And accepted in the multitude of his brethren. Seeking is a participle. <clears throat> Seeking. What does that mean? He's constantly doing it. ING says it's over and over and over on an ongoing basis. Seeking, it didn't say that he sought a one-time event. It says that he was doing it, participle, over, over time continually. It was a pattern of his life. Seeking the wealth, not for himself. You follow the news, people over on Capitol Hill have a tendency to become wealthy while they're serving. They figured out a way to make money off the people that they're supposed to be serving. Insider training is kind of the, the norm because they know the bills that are coming and who's going to get promoted and who doesn't, and they benefit from that. But not Mordecai. He was not seeking his own personal wealth. He was seeking the wealth of his people and speaking peace to all his seed. Again, contrasted that with verse 1, Ahasuerus is taxing, taxing. Many people measure greatness by authority. And certainly Mordecai had authority. But the king had authority. We classify them differently. Greatness, Mordecai is referred to as great because he used his authority his position to help others, which is, brings up the question this morning. Uh, you're in the workplace, and maybe you're a person of great authority. You're in the community, and you're a person of great authority. Uh, maybe you carry a badge or a gun, and you are a police officer. Do you use that authority to enrich yourself or to help others? We typically don't think of being in the home as being an authority, but certainly mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, you are in a position of authority. Do you use that position, that power to help those who are underneath of you, or do you use that authority to lord over them? <clears throat> Greatness, Mordecai was great, again, because he used his authority to help and benefit those that he served. 
Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 tells us of Abraham. God said to Abraham, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Abraham was supposed to use his power and position to to be a help and a blessing to others. And the Bible says of Abraham, I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And that promise to Abraham, the Abrahamic promise of Genesis chapter 2, 12, it, verse 2 and 3, is still in effect today. Still in effect. John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So I'm going to list some names, no particular order. And you decide, as I'm going through the name, whether or not they use their position of authority to promote themselves, their power, their agenda. President Biden. Former President Obama. Former President Trump. Vladimir Putin. Zelensky. Powerful leaders. And we named Haman and Mordecai. We're familiar with them because of the book of Esther. But those are names that are pulled out of the news today. And you go home to your computer and sit down and say, what are the most powerful leaders, the ten most powerful leaders that have influenced our world to date? Not today, but to date. And the list will be, will be as follows. Abraham Lincoln. Gandhi. Churchill. Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela, Albert Einstein, Mother Teresa, Stephen Hawking, Gates, Oprah Winfrey will be the list that is, that is given to you. And you think of those names, you say, well, yeah, yeah, I guess. And, and then you look at some of those names and you go, really? Seems like that guy has, yeah, he's helped the world, but he's enriched himself. And I, I don't have any problem with the names that are on the list. It's the names that aren't on the list that bother me. Why is that? Because the person they left off is Jesus Christ. I'm going to talk about the person that lived that literally changed the course of the world and still influences the world today as Jesus Christ. But the world doesn't look to him as a great leader, a powerful leader. They don't. Why is that? Because they don't want salvation. Christ gives forever. Life. Eternity. Is that true greatness? I think so. What defines true foolishness? Well, I don't know in verse 1, King Ahasuerus, that you would say that he was foolish, but certainly short-sighted. <clears throat> he was a man that had perverted thinking and was given to the, that was caused by the consumption of alcohol. 
And alcohol changes the way you think. Frank, your bus is here. Again, brutality to his dissenters. Haman. How would you describe him? As, as greatness? No, you would describe him as a person of absolute power. And from Haman would come the phrase, absolute power corrupts absolutely. He used his power, Haman used his power to promote self. Mordecai used his power, his position, to help the Jews. Instead, Haman used his power to help himself. Mordecai used his power to help others. Haman used his power to help himself. And even as the king promoted Mordecai, he was doing that to help himself. To protect his queen. Not necessarily to protect the human and the the his himself, his people. <clears throat> Haman and Mordecai had lofty position. They had the same lofty position. They had the same power. They had the same authority. They had the same wealth. Haman's health was given uh, to Esther and to Mordecai. Uh, they all they both had accomplishments. But Haman took that power, same power that the two of them had. Haman took that power and demanded others to bow. And again, the question is, when you have that power, do you expect people to worship you? Now, do you find yourself saying, I'm, I'm, your, I'm your mother and you'll, you will do what I say. I'm your dad and you will, you will listen to me. Do we, have, we have human nature, uh, we can pick on Haman, but human nature, we have a tendency to do that. Haman used his power to call others to bow. He used his power to cause others to cower. Uh, when you came into his presence, into the presence of Ahasuerus, you thought, you know what, uh, if, if he doesn't extend the scepter, I'm a, I'm a dead man. Big Thun Teresh, we met them in chapter 2. They allowed bitterness. They had positions, but they allowed bitterness to, uh, to cause them to become disgruntled. Do you allow bitterness to wreck your personality, to cause you to think, uh, you know, this isn't very good for me. I, boss doesn't pay me very much money. I don't like the hours, and we... Uh, we start to complain and moan and gripe and whine, and you become bitter, and then you become un unemployable. Bitterness. So they conspired to kill the king. That wasn't the answer. It was a answer, but it didn't end well for them. <clears throat> Defining true greatness, again, the opposite is what is true foolishness? Haman's was certainly foolish. Bigtha and uh, Teresh were definitely foolish. But as the Bible describes foolishness, in Psalm 14, verse 1, the Bible text says, The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. 
Now you might, I might come up to you and say, would you say there, oh, I'm a preacher, I would never say there is no God, but in our lifestyle, we say there is no God, there is no judgment. We don't think about it, we don't think about eternity, we don't make things right with God. I've been convicted just recently, and I've said to several folks uh, about the matter of prayer, uh, why why don't Christians pray? Because a person that prays has got to believe that Jesus Christ is a must believe that he is, the Bible text says, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So if you don't pray, it's for two reasons. Because you don't believe that God is in, in our practice, and we don't believe that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's a, that's a telling condemnation. It's easy for us to look at Haman and say, well, Haman didn't trust God, he didn't believe in God, but I believe in God. Do you pray? Do you seek God? Do you believe that he is? Well, the correct answer is yes. Well, of course I believe in God. Uh, But you don't go to him in prayer because you don't believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Interesting. The fool has said, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looketh down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. A sad condemnation on the human race. Nashville, Tennessee February 7, 2024. Person traveling domestically from Tennessee to California. No boarding pass. No identification. They made it past security. Where's your ticket? Don't have a ticket. Where's your boarding pass? Don't have a boarding pass. Where's your ID? Don't have an ID. Seriously? You can get through the airport? But they did. They went through security. Uh, security, uh, the uh, TSA, wants you to know uh, that uh, they, they checked their bags. <laughs> they got through your security thing. They didn't have a ticket. They didn't have a boarding pass. How'd that happen? Oh, they're not talking about that just yet. It's under investigation. But they want to assure you they checked their bag. They went through the screening. They went, their bag that they took, their carry-on bag, and they had carry-on bag, uh, went through the x-ray machine. Uh, they didn't have anything hazardous on them. They went up to the gate. I don't know, what happens at the gate? The lady stands there, uh, uh, boarding group one, boarding group two, and what do they do? They check your ticket, right? But this person, without... A boarding pass without a ticket, without ID. I'm not sure how they did it. It says they went through an unmanned station, and she's checking boarding pass. I don't know if they walked behind her or walked with the group, but they walked and got on the airplane and flew from Tennessee to California. Now somewhere, I'm not sure where, but somewhere on the flight, they determined that this uh, this person wasn't supposed to be there. I'm not sure how they did it. Uh, you would think that they, they would have figured that out ahead of time. When they said, you know, that person walked by. But somehow, on the flight, they figured out this person's not supposed to be there. 
And so when they landed in California, law enforcement was there and took them into custody uh, to talk about, uh, you know, how they did it, what they did it, what their design was, I, I suppose, uh, all kinds of things. <clears throat> American Airlines Flight 1393, law enforcement met them at the gate, taken into custody. And we say, oh, well, of course. I mean, that's the right thing to do, right? It's the right thing to do. You shouldn't be uh, trying to get through the airport without ID, without a boarding pass, without... Uh, that, that's just not allowed. I mean, that should not be allowed. And that is wrong. That puts, the, that puts the safety of everyone at risk. And I say, preacher, what in the world does that have to do with the Bible? You think you're going to get into heaven? I mean, we, you think that the TSA has greater requirements to get on an airplane than God's going to have to get into heaven? Seriously? You think we're going to get there without a ticket, without a boarding pass? You think somehow we're going to go through an unmanned gate uh, to the pearly city and get in? No, you're not going to get there anyway except through the blood of Jesus Christ. You think you're going to get in and escape notice once you get inside? No, no, they're going to be... <clears throat> I said to somebody just recently, I said, really? You think you're going to get to heaven by your good works? And they said, yeah, yeah, I think so. I said, man, I'll tell you what, if you could... Sneak in one of the gates by your good works. You'd stand out in the crowd in heaven because everybody in heaven is going to be singing, worthy is the lamb that was slain. And you're going to say, I got here by my good works. And they're going to toss you up. They're going to boot you out the gate. They're going to boot you out the front gate. Even if you could get in, and you can. You'd stand out. Haman stood out. King Ahasuerus stands out. They stand out big the stands out in the text, but they stand out for all the wrong reasons. The question is, why do you stand out? Are you truly great? Use your power to help and encourage others? Or are you foolish? Saying in your heart, never saying out loud, but saying in your heart there is no God, by our lack of prayer, or just by our lack of ignoring God and who he is. And then able to distinguish the difference. Look with me to Psalm 49. Psalm 49 is our scripture memory text for the year. I hope you've been working on that. <clears throat> I want you to look at verse 14. Verse 14, Psalm 49 says, Like sheep, they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them, and the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning. And their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. That's a little bit of a more morbid verse there. And so as I memorize, memorizing this verse, I think about the person who has died, and I think about uh, the death gnawing on them while they're laying as what their new dwelling place. Uh, say, preacher, I've got I've to have a big house. I've got to have 5,000 square feet. I've got to have seven bathrooms. Seriously? Who cleans those things? Uh, no, certainly not me. Uh, one, one, is, one, one is plenty to clean, uh, in, in my opinion. But anyways, I've got to have all this space. And when you die, you're going to a one-room apartment. And it's not going to be 5,200 square feet. It's going to be two by, two by six. It's going to be 12 square feet. And uh, you're, you're going to lay there. And death is going to feed on you. But the, it's the foolish person that says, uh, that doesn't have any bearing on me. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 of 
Psalm 49. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. People look at verse 19 and they say, well, verse 19, that's that he and they, the, the, the subjects don't agree. Oh, they, they do. He, the person that lives a foolish life, that says in his heart there is no God, is going to go where his relatives have gone that have also said uh, there is no God, have not come to God for salvation. He's going to where they are, and they, or if you're in the South, you say all y'all, uh, everybody, uh, is, is going to be there. Look, again, look at verse 19. He, that man, that foolish man, that Haman, uh, shall go to the generation of his fathers. They, that family, shall never see light. It's over. That, that's pretty powerful. Look at verse 15. But the wise man, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Is that your testimony? It should be. A powerful contrast. Now you can say, a preacher, you're foolish and short-sighted for serving the Lord. Uh, when I left uh, police work, had a good career, uh, was on the, had uh, been promoted several times, uh, was, uh, was uh, looked at for upward mobility, and <clears throat> I walked away from that. Uh, the guys that I worked with said, seriously? Uh, that's the dumbest thing in the world. Why would you do that? Why would you walk away from this? Uh, you'll be back in a year. Uh, you'll be back in a year. They didn't understand. That the, and they still don't. People, the world does not understand that there is purpose, Mordecai, in serving others, serving the Lord. They, they don't get it. Uh, why is that? For Psalm, verse, Psalm chapter 12, verse 15. <clears throat> the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. But he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. So contrast, Ahasuerus or Haman or Mordecai or Esther or Vashti. In the text, who, who do you see yourself? It's just kind of interesting to talk to people throughout the week and, and they'll uh, give me a problem and I'll give them a text. And they'll say, uh, Pastor, I've read, the, I've read the text several times. I, I don't get it. And there are typically several people in the text who, who, who are you? Which one of these are you? And we always want to think that we're the uh, King David, a man after God's own heart, or a, or a Mary, uh, uh, someone who is devoted, or a Joseph. But we don't like to see ourselves as a Haman or a Hasahurus. We want to see ourselves as the Mordecai. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. But he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. Psalm, Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11, uh, puts it pretty brutally. As a dog returneth to his vomit, so a fool to his folly. Oh, one of my children, I won't tell you which one, uh, their, their child uh, had uh, upchuck on the floor. And the family dog came over and cleaned it up.
disgusting. It is absolutely disgusting. And that's how God describes a person who continually goes back to their sin. Disgusting. Disgusting. Seeth thou a man who is wise in his own conceit, Proverbs 26, verse 12 says, there is more hope of a fool than of him. Wow, that's an even starker contrast. What is that? Uh, Haman is wise in his own conceit. He's one step below a fool that is going to lick up his own vomit. And again, you look through the text, who, who do you see? Proverbs 13, verse 20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Again, Mordecai was considered great. Why? Not because of his lofty position, not because of his power, not because of his authority, not because of his wealth, and not because of his accomplishments. He was considered great because of what he had done for others. What have you done recently for others? Turn with me to Mark chapter 9. We're going to end here in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 is an interesting contrast between what is going on in the hearts and minds of, of people as they serve the Lord. Okay. So we, we know that it, is, it would be wise to consider that there is a God and there is eternity, there is a heaven and a hell to come to God for salvation. We get that. We're an 8.30 crowd and you're here this morning, and you know Christ is your Savior, you're on your way to heaven, you've embraced this salvation, uh, that's a great thing. And so, for the, next, for the next few moments, I want us to look at this passage of Scripture and see what... Again, it's easy to look at Esther and say, I'm a Mordecai, I'm not a Haman, and I'm not a Hasahurus, I'm not a, a drunk or a fueled by drunk or enamored by power or greatness... Uh, Here we are in uh, verse 30. We're in chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, verse 30. And they, Jesus and the disciples, departed and passed through Galilee. And he would not that any man uh, should should know it. And so this passage, this verse is coming. uh, Chapter 9 is uh, they... This fellow had a son who was vexed with the evil spirit, and so they brought him to the disciples, and the disciples could not cast him out. And Jesus said to them, O ye of little faith, how long shall I be with you? And then they went to Christ, and they said, um, Why could not we cast him out? And Christ said to them, Because this type cometh not forth but by prayer and fasting. Can you see the contrast? For us to be successful, why, why don't Christians pray? Because we don't believe that God is in our practice. And we don't believe that God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So here's a group of people that could not do God's work in God's way because they did not have God's power because they were, they had embraced Christ's salvation, but they had ignored prayer, the power of God. They, they were not going to God. And so what, 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 I would consider them pretty normal Christianity. What are they doing? They've just had a major fallout where they couldn't do God's work. And so what are they talking about? What do Christians talk about when they are powerless? Verse 31. 
For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and after he is killed, he shall rise the third day. Verse 31, Jesus talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. Verse 32 says, But they understood not that saying, and were afraid to ask him. They're all going, amen, amen, that's good preaching, well done, yeah, good, oh, oh yeah, hey, we're with you. What's he saying? I have no idea. I have no idea. Again, typical Christianity. Verse 33, and when, and he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, what was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? So again, catch the context there in chapter 9. They have just gone from a place, uh, they, couldn't, they couldn't help the guy and his son that was possessed by an evil spirit. Why? Because they didn't have power of God. They weren't walking with God. They weren't seeking God. This kind cometh not forth but by prayer and fasting. And, and Christ is giving them spiritual wisdom about what's going to come, what's coming down the pipe. And they didn't understand, uh, but, but they didn't ask. Instead, what are they talking about? Christ knew that they were talking, and so he said, what, what was it? You guys were having a dispute back there. What was it? And they didn't want to tell him. Why is that? The next verse tells us. But they held their peace. For by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. What is that? That's the spirit of King Ahasuerus. That's the spirit of Haman. And it's at work in the midst of the twelve disciples. I just say that if in the midst of the twelve disciples that they walk with Jesus Christ, the greatest teacher that probably that ever lived, no, without a doubt, it's probably in the spirit of not just most of our churches today, but our church right here. Fifty nine oh one Wilton Road, Alexandria, Virginia. And you can come to me and say, Oh yeah, preacher, I believe God. Do you diligently seek him? Say, Preacher, I live for others. Do you? Or do you have a dispute? You know, what happened to the old man preacher if he died today? Man, who would be next in line for the power? Who would have the power? Would it be Mr. Frank or Mr. Corey or Mr. Oldenburg? Or uh, would it be some unknown antichrist that would step up and try to assume the power? Because that's what they're talking about. What do you talk about? Do you use your powers to help others? Or do you use your power and authority to enrich yourself? It's a telling passage. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the text. It seems odd that we would round out a, such a powerful historical narrative in three verses. But how telling they are. And how convicting for us in modern-day Christianity to think if the disciples talked about who would be the most powerful, that we would do the same thing here today. The spirit of Haman and Ahasuerus still lives on in Christianity today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, you're here today, you're a Christian, you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, but you struggle with, in the home with that greatness. You say, preacher, pray for me, God help me to be humble. Yes. Another say, yes. Preacher, pray for me that I'd be humility. in humility. Yes, sir. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for Christians who are sensitive. It is convicting to think that we would be described as Ahasuerus, as Haman, as Bigtha, as Teresh, 
and not as a man or a woman who uses authority, power, to be a help, a blessing, to help others, to learn, to enrich, to grow. Father, that's what we desire to be, and I pray that you'd help us to do that. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, you're here, but you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior. You say, Preacher, would you pray for me? I need to be saved. Slip your hand up, hold it up for just a moment. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. The altar is open, the piano is playing. You want to come? You may. If you want the preacher to pray for you? I will. You obey as God speaks to your heart.